hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. You're listening to Queer Money episode 189. Are you taking full advantage of all your workplace benefits? I mean, all of them? According to today's guest, there's likely at least one that you're not using and that could be putting you at great risk. Plus, you're missing out on a lot of potential money and protections. Today, we're joined by Dr. Kristen Tugman, VP of Customer Analytics and Consultation at Prudential Financial. Dr. Tugman leads a team that helps employees and employers better understand and use disability and life benefits in the workplace to help minimize employers' costs and increase employee engagement, satisfaction, and performance. We make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please email your money questions to questions at debtfreeguys.com or post them in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may answer it in an upcoming episode. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere, so banking fits into your life, not the other way around. The foundation for living fabulously, not fabulously broke is a good credit score. A good credit score can save you tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. A bad credit score can cost you tens of thousands of dollars and cause you to miss out on other great opportunities. Sign up for the free Improve or Build Your Credit Score powered by Experian Boost and watch your credit score improve by 5 to 50 points in 15 minutes. Go to DebtFreeGuys.com forward slash boost. Now, on with the show. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. We're happy to have you with us this week. We are covering a topic that seems to, to be an issue that John and I have noticed a slight trend in the LGBT community, as well as anecdotally what we're hearing from members of the Queer Money Facebook group, and actually from some of our personal finance colleagues, they have talked about this as well or mentioned this to us. But it was interesting that what we've heard has been confirmed recently by a 2019 Williams Institute study talking about LGBT poverty in the United States. And the thing that caught our attention was the fact that disability is a contributing factor to why the LGBT community, specifically LGBT people of color and LGBT women, has a larger percentage of people living below the poverty line. So we were concerned or interested in this topic about how disability and the effects of being on disability have contributed to the financial state of our community. And because of that, we have invited Dr. Kristen Tugman from Prudential onto the show to discuss with us a little bit about what not only Prudential is doing, but what Dr. Tugman has found in her research about how disability affects us as individuals, not only so that uh, those of you out there who are on disability who are listening can better understand what your options or what is available to you, but also for those of you who are not so that you can be prepared that if this becomes an issue for you, what, what can you do to ensure that it doesn't have a severe negative impact on your financial outlook for your life? So with that in mind, <laughs> I guess we would like to ask Dr. Tugman, what are the more common medical reasons why you might see someone in the workplace leave, uh, go on disability? Yeah. 
So I think what's really interesting about the word disability is that when people hear the word disability, they automatically think that that will not happen to them because they think about catastrophic events. And really the most common reasons that people leave work are for really simple events and unexpected events, such as, you know, you might, you might break your leg, you might have gallbladder surgery, you might have your appendix out unexpectedly. And what that means for folks is time away from work. And if there is no income protection that we typically call disability insurance, then that individual will have to go a period of time without income. And so what we know is that most folks can't necessarily even pay a $400 medical bill without unexpectedly. And so they're certainly not prepared to go anywhere from two to six weeks without income. Right. So, you know, I think it's, it was highlighted this year with the furlough of government workers. And then I think also, again, with the strike with GM definitely. workers about how many people in this country literally are living paycheck to paycheck. And absolutely, it, it's also interesting that you brought up this idea that most of us have I don't know if it's kind of a, a superhero mentality about our our health right. and physical state, but most of us don't think ahead about the idea of how something simple, such as having some sort of simple surgery or having a, you know breaking a bone, something like that, how quickly that could cause our financial state to spiral out of control. Exactly. And, and what we know is that there's about 51 million working adults today that don't have any disability insurance coverage. And generally, most employers offer it. And they offer it at a fairly low cost to employees. So many employees are just not opting into what could be anywhere from a 60 to 100% salary replacement should they experience an unexpected event. That's crazy. Do you know why so few people are taking advantage of the benefits that are available to them? I think it's lack of education. I think, you know, it's it's the ability to sort of project out that, hey, you know, this might happen to me. It's, it's unfortunate because we see so many people elect life insurance coverage that you're about three and a half times more likely to need disability insurance coverage within your working life than you are to actually need to access your life insurance. It's a huge awareness issue. And we, we work with employers all the time to try to figure out, how, you know, how can we appeal to the multi-generational workforce in a way that speaks to them so that they start to understand that this is coverage that I, that I need and I'm more likely than even my other insurance coverages. That's fascinating because I think I see parallels there with what you're saying about disability insurance with people and their, the way they prepare for retirement. And, I, and, you, and you know, you working at Prudential, you might see the same thing as well. So is it so much of a lack of awareness or is it one of those things like, I know I need to get to it and I'll, I'll get to it at some time and we just never do. But life insurance, if I happen to get into a car accident tomorrow and die, I, I, you know, not having life insurance, I could put my family or my kids, my, my spouse in a bad situation. So I'll take care of that because I want right. to take care of them. Yeah, and I think, too, um, a lot of employers more allow for um, basic coverage that is almost auto-enroll for life insurance versus a disability coverage that you might actually have to click on in order to make sure that you are actually enrolled for a small cost. And that, that has a big, is a big piece of it as well. And then the other thing that folks don't recognize is that 
disability can be really complicated. So while the majority of disabilities last about four to six weeks, we also have, there's more chronic longer term disabilities occurring today just because the workforce is changing. We're working longer and after the age of 50, we're twice as likely to experience a disability at work uh, while we're working. In addition, we're, we're seeing one in two of us have at least one chronic condition and half of those folks have two or more. We're seeing mental health in the workplace, depression as really an epidemic in our society. So that's causing more and more absence from work. And so we're just seeing the cost of disability to both employees and employees continuing to rise. In fact, it costs an employer about 8 to 9% of payroll in disability and productivity costs annually. And, and we expect that that will probably increase by about 37% in the next few years if we do nothing. So it's certainly an issue for both employers and employees. And, and what employees also don't realize is that return to work is complicated. And so what we fail to recognize a lot of times is that anytime that we're unable to work and unable to bring in a paycheck, it's really a psychological event. And so it's really folks need to sort of psychologically adjust to the trauma of not bringing in a paycheck, but also think about how do I return? And within a disability insurance program, there's resources that help folks think through how how might I return? How might I transition back? How do I stay connected to my employer? How do I really take the guesswork out of return to work? Because again, it, it, it is complicated. I think all too often we think somebody goes out of work and then they just go back. Mm-hmm, Things right. resolve and they go back to work. It's just, it's a lot more complicated than that. So I wonder, there's a lot of great content that you just shared there. Uh, I want to kind of go back to the, the beginning. And one of the things I'm wondering is you mentioned a couple of instances that might cause someone to go into disability. I never would have necessarily equated those instances with disability. So I'm wondering if maybe the definition of disability needs to be redefined or if it needs to, um, a better word might be, might be used instead because yeah. you're saying like gallbladder instance or uh, an appendix. You have to have your appendix out. Well, I had to have my appendix out. I never would have considered it any span of that right. procedure as, as a disability. I've always kind of perceived a disability and this is my na- naivete as being, you know, the, the war veteran who lost their leg. Um, and right. that to me seems catastrophic. But me, me having a, a appendix surgery, not so much. Depression, maybe maybe a little bit more so. I would define that as a disability. But if I had was suffering depression, I probably wouldn't say that I have a disability myself. So I wonder if mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a, a confusion in the, in the definition. I think so, because I think you're right. When we hear the word disabled, we think catastrophic. I always actually coach our teams to not put a wheelchair in our PowerPoint presentations, because again, that sort of perpetuates this idea that it can't happen to me and it's got to be catastrophic for it to be considered a disability. It's really just about an illness or injury that prevents you from working for a period of time. And so I do think we've talked about sort of the naming convention quite a bit in our industry and do we do we think about calling it just income protection? I, you know, I think that might, from a layman's perspective, describe it a little bit more accurately, and maybe get people to a place where they want to act. Yeah, yeah, that, I, I think you're you're right. It is um, that may be the contributing factor in why so many of us don't think that a disability will prevent us from working 
and thus don't Mm -hmm. take advantage of the disability insurance. I remember when at my previous employer, I think that my disability insurance was, I want to say it was like $3.80 a month. It was right. it was so, it was so <laughs> low. I mean, that's not you. You can get a cup of coffee more for more expensive than that. Mm-hmm. You know these days, and the fact that that and I think that mine was set at I want to say it was eighty percent replacement or eighty five replacement of income. And uh, yep. I guess looking back on it now, I did it automatically. I don't know why, but looking back on it now, I think the advantage or the opportunity that that was there is amazing. And many people may be thinking that they don't need it when even you know just that that three five dollars a month could really help them out, especially those of you who are who feel like you're stuck in this cycle of living paycheck to paycheck. And mm-hmm. if you are in that cycle, you may want to take a look at whether or not you have applied for or are a part of the disability insurance program. You mentioned though, and I think John was kind of hitting on this too, that it seems like sometimes what many of us would consider not to be catastrophic or chronic conditions or occurrences that some of those can then turn into something that's long-term or become chronic disability. Why do you think that happens? Or, or maybe you can give us an idea of what's going on that may contribute to that happening. Sure. So a couple things. So, uh, you know, I talked about return to work being complicated and the fact that you're unable to work for a period of time is really a psychological event. And so, Really what we find what happens is the longer folks are out of work, and there's even research today that suggests that your likelihood of going back to work decreases by 30% even after two weeks of being away from work. And so we find that the longer we're away, the less likely we are to return because there's a lot of anxiety that creeps in that makes us question whether or not when we go back, one, do I still have the same connection with my coworkers? Are they going to be upset with me because they had to cover for me? What's it really going to be like when I go back? Am I going to have to go back 100% and, and really hit the ground running? And I'm not sure if I can. And will I perform as I once did prior to the event? And the longer we're away and the less connected we remain to our coworkers, our manager, the more ambiguity creeps in. And again, that anxiety level continues to increase. So we know when somebody's out up to six months, they're 50% less likely to return to work. And that exponentially increases over the next six month period as well. And then once you're out a year, you're about 70% likely, 75% unlikely to return to work. So it's so important for employers and employees to really understand the nature of what we call the disability mindset. So really the moment that somebody leaves the workplace we're on a race to prevent the disability mindset. And so sort of naturally, the industry does sort of push us in that direction. So typically, the process that occurs around thinking about being out is as somebody has an emerging disability condition or an emerging illness or an emerging or even an injury, a a lagging injury, they don't really necessarily want to go out of work. 
And, they, you know, there's some guilt associated with that. You know, right. every employer is doing more with less and they know their coworkers are going to have to pick up the slack. And then the next thing that happens is they're not performing as well as they once did. And there's some shame associated with that. And then the next piece of it, we have, we go to the, the doctor and we talk to the doctor about what we do for work. And the doctor typically says something like, well, how long do you think you need to be out? And so that's really kind of taking the control away from that employee in terms of the doctor not saying, well, tell me what you need in order to be able to, to function effectively at work. Yeah. And then we get into this cycle of, of talking about why we can't work and sort of defending the fact that we're incapable of going back. And then it's really kind of a, a vicious cycle of continuing to have to explain that. And then ultimately it becomes the consequence of returning to work feels greater than the consequence of remaining out of work and continuing to receive that income replacement. So while the income replacement is so incredibly important, it's also incredibly important to intervene in a way that helps folks understand that they can go back to work, that there are ways that they can safely return to work, and it's important to have the employer and the physician and really all involved in the process continue to talk about the fact that work is possible and that's the ultimate goal versus the individual feeling like it's just an impossible task to get back to that place where they once were. Mm -hmm. So you said earlier that there's a, a lack of education on the, the value and the need for disability insurance. And I, I, I've kind of assumed that that was from the employee perspective. But it seems to me, as you're talking, it seems to me it's it's as valuable for the employer to promote and advocate that their employees take advantage of this benefit because a simple illness could lead to something a little bit a lot bigger. And then all of a sudden you're out of an employee and you have to hire a new employee and train a new employee, um, which is exponentially Correct. more expensive than retaining the existing employee that you had, especially if they were a good performer. Do you find that okay. the education is required on both sides or is it still, is it mostly the, the employees that are, are lacking the awareness? Absolutely. So I think the employees are lacking the awareness around the disability benefit where the employers could use education. And, and actually, this is primarily what my team does is we work with employers to help them sort of understand how to create policies and practices that promote healthier workplaces that include return to work programs and practices as well. And so what employers don't recognize is that it's going to significantly benefit them to implement proactive strategies that allow them to retain workers when they, they have mm -hmm. to go out unexpectedly because, just as you said, the significant cost to losing those employees because there's hiring, there's retraining, and, and not to mention the longer somebody's out, the more an employer is paying for things like overtime costs right. or they're paying for replacement workers or other um, employees are, are covering for that individual and, and doing extra work. And so then they become more at risk of experiencing a, a disability and an absence from work as well. So we spend a lot of time with employers helping them look at policies and, and understand ways that they can remain connected to employees in an appropriate way how they can help sort of take the guesswork out of return to work for an employee. Because again, employees don't know what to expect when they walk through that door unless an employer has continued to stay in contact with them and help them feel safe and comfortable in that return to work effort. 
And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. You know, it's interesting. I, what you're describing here reminds me a little bit, I'm a football fan, and it reminds me yep. a little bit of when a player is injured and on the field. And at a certain point, you start to see the other players from that team and maybe even the opposing team come out and surround that player. I think that there's some moral support happening there and concern for your fellow player, teammate. And it just seems to me maybe that what happens is there isn't a teammate mentality when it comes to disability in the workplace. We fear that it's a private thing and we shouldn't be involved, or maybe employers feel it's a private thing and that they shouldn't be involved. But it sounds like what you're describing is something a little bit more akin to what happens on the football field is that both employers and fellow employees have a little bit of responsibility and opportunity to help someone not only feel the mental issues that you had described, but also to feel like they're still a part of the team and that that, it, that they are awaiting the day that they do come back, not because, <laughs> as you said, that right. we're, we're, we're waiting for you to get back and, and get back to work so we don't have to work so much, but just the common concern of one of our teammates is missing. Yeah, and I can give you an example, actually. We did a, um, a study on, so I've really studied the psychology of return to work um, throughout my career. And so we did a, a qualitative study where we interviewed employees who had been out of work for at least 45 days and had been able to successfully return to work. And so what we're trying to understand is what are what thought processes happen throughout the life of that disability in order to get someone to a place where they're more likely to return to work. And so we've spent a lot of time with employers talking about how important it is for managers to stay in contact with employees. And we spent a lot of time training managers and here's what to say, here's what not to say. And while that interaction and that relationship was really important, what we actually found was that coworker relationship and contact was even more important. And Hmm. so I had one individual who talked about, she'd been with her employer for 28 years. And she said, you know what? I thought I had friends there. Clearly I don't because no one reached out. And her disability was, was more prolonged than the individual who was out for mental health issue who told me that she felt like she almost owed it to her coworkers to return because not because they needed her to pick up the extra work or or her own workload, but because they were so supportive and they immediately talked to her about what is it that you need? We're here for you. They went so far as to go to her house actually and help her fill out paperwork And she was so afraid. She actually had experienced a traumatic event and she was paralyzed by the idea of walking through the revolving doors and meeting someone that she didn't expect who would say to her, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And so she conveyed that to her coworkers and her coworkers then met her at the front door, walked her back to her cubicle, picked her up for lunch, walked her to lunch, 
made sure that she wasn't left alone in a conference room because one of her also biggest fears was small talk. And so for her, that was the turning point in returning to work. While on the other hand, as coworkers do not support their fellow coworkers, it, you know, it can have a, a damaging impact to the, the length of time that somebody stays out of work. This totally plays into, for those who have worked in corporate America for any period of time, I guess over the last 10 or 15 years, more and more companies are doing the employee engagement surveys. And the first time I ever took one, maybe this is, I don't want to date myself, it was a while ago. The first time I ever took one of those surveys, we all kind of cracked up at the question of, do you have a best friend at work? But this, what you're saying right now totally plays into why companies are asking that question or why they want to make sure they actually have friends at work because it's showing the value that it can have. No doubt when you know, staying connected with somebody when they're sick, but that must have exponential value in the actual performance on the day-to-day job, whether anyone's sick or not. Right. I think it's very fascinating. So what can employers and employees do better to bring employees back to work? You mentioned earlier the transition back to work can oftentimes be a hurdle. Is there sort of a, a prescription or, or a step, a process that employers and employees can follow to make that transition a little less daunting? Sure. So we work with employers to actually help them understand how they can bring folks back at sort of on modified duty. So the idea is that we take the guesswork out of return to work planning for all involved. And we ask employers to try to understand what's the minimum output that I need from my employee in order to consider them productive. And a lot of times employers don't know what that is. And so we sort of will go in and we'll, we'll meet with managers and we'll meet with human resource professionals and we'll do a tour of the of the facility and really understand the true physical nature and cognitive nature of the work and then be able to understand what small things can we do in order to help someone transition back from a no work status incrementally over a short period of time back to full-time full duty. So for us, best practice is to make sure that there's a program in place that we can in advance understand how someone can return to work. And then with that, we can stay in touch with an employee and really understand where they are in terms of their recovery and know when they can safely fit into the program. And then there's a plan that we can develop that everyone is in agreement with, the physician, the employer, the manager, and the employee. And so they know exactly what to expect on day one. Preparation is key to, again, really understand what's it going to look like when I walk through the door? Am I comfortable? Do I know I'm going to be able to perform up to and within my restrictions and limitations, but also within the expectations of performance? And so then from an employee perspective, one of the things that we find too often with the disability mindset and the sort of the nature of the relationship between patient and physician around these things is that physicians typically don't want to be perceived as pushing people back to work. So they don't necessarily Mm -hmm. ask a lot of questions about job descriptions or return to work options. And so all too often we find that an employee sort of gives control over to their doctor and they'll just say, you know what, I'm going to go back to work when my doctor says I can. But we know that the physician isn't necessarily owning that piece of treatment. 
And so we encourage employees to ask, to talk to their doctor about options for return to work, to really talk about, here's what my job actually is, and here's what I think I need in order to return to work. And then it's important, I think, too, for employees to understand policies that are in place around return to work, speak to their human resources folks and and teams, and stay in touch with their manager. Um, A lot of times if managers feel like they're they're going to overstep if they, they reach out to their employees, if the employee can reach out and, and just sort of remain connected and give updates and, and ensure that managers know that they do want to return to work. You're going to you know, sort of keep that relationship intact and, again, help everyone feel prepared for the return to work process. Yeah. This is kind of a after the fact what you're talking about here, but what can you know? Many of our listeners aren't aren't currently on disability, so sure. what can they do to prepare themselves in the event that something may happen to them, whether it's planned and they know that they're going to be going out for a particular mm-hmm. medical procedure, or there is something that occurs as an accident? How can we better prepare ourselves? Yeah, definitely educate yourself. What benefits exist? What are your policies relative to absence and and return to work? Talk to your HR teams. You know, the HR teams are are there for employees. So, you know, don't be a stranger with your HR team. You know, talk to them about what's available, what process, what processes may be in place, what you can expect. And make sure you're taking advantage of your benefits. Obviously, we're a big proponent of making sure that you're enrolled in disability insurance. Make sure you know who to call in the event that something happens. Take advantage of your health plan. There's preventive care that a lot of us don't access because we assume with high deductible health plans that, you know, that, that there might be a cost associated. Most preventive care is free and, and you should really take advantage of it. And then the other thing is recognize that if there is an event in which you know you unfortunately have to go out of work, it is a psychological event. Um, and so just be aware that it can be more complicated than you think and make sure that you're accessing resources, talking to your physician. If seeing a, a mental health counselor or even accessing an employee assistance program would be helpful to talk through you know, the current situation, just, just be aware that it it's okay that anxiety will likely creep in and it may or may not be diagnosable, but it can be complicated and, and, you know, sort of give yourself a break and understand that it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. It it sounds like there's, you know, we talked a little bit here about disability insurance and that being an employee benefit, but you're also saying that there's also the healthcare benefit and then the employee assistant programs that are in place, those can be a benefit. So it's not like there's there's multiple types of benefits that you can tap into if you yeah. want to be prepared, especially if you know, if you're planning ahead for something that may take you out of work for a time period. But for the ones that are not prepared for, then just understanding what your options are. Uh, sounds like it may help you to reenter the workforce and help your team along the way. Absolutely. Because I think all too often, none of us have any idea what our benefits are before we need them. Right. And then then (laughs) in the moment, they're so hard to navigate. (laughs) Right. It's, It's like, honestly, I think many people psychologically have a barrier and avoidance to mm-hmm. our benefits because it's almost like taxes, right? You just, it's so convoluted and complicated. Mm-hmm. You feel... <laughs> 
you feel very naive and almost stupid sometimes when you start reading through this stuff and you just completely don't understand it and you don't feel like there's anyone you can go to. But that's not necessarily a reason to avoid it. <laughs> exactly. And there's always human resource professionals that should be at an employee's disposal to you know, sort of help um, navigate and really understand what benefits exist because it is, it's, it's really all very difficult to understand mm -hmm. and just having that one-on-one -on -one touch uh, in terms of you know, having somebody to explain it, I think is really, really, really helpful. And I think we need to keep having this conversation because I think one of the biggest hurdles, at least from my perspective, might be the fact that people will just assume that, well, I'm never going to have anxiety even if I get sick. I'm never going to become depressed even if I get sick because I'm not like that. But I think there's a lot of shame tied to some of this. Mm -hmm. So so you might, even when you're healthy, you're, you're less likely to electively choose these benefits that you will very well possibly need down the road because we just, there's so much shame tied to anxiety and depression and all mm -hmm. of that, that if we could normalize that and say that it's part of the, the process that most everyone goes through. And for that reason, mm -hmm. take advantage of these benefits and then sign up for the benefits. I mean, and then if you ever have the instance where you need it, then fully take advantage of them. And that makes everything. I mean, if, if, if you knew what your transition back to work was going to look like, if you knew that your employer wasn't expecting you to return back to work and perform at a hundred percent, but that you and everybody else involved is fine if you return back at, you know, 45 or 40% or whatever, that might reduce some of the anxiety that you might have, that might reduce some of the depression that might creep in. Um, so the more that we can talk about this, the more normal it is. And hopefully it, it makes everybody feel and perform better. Absolutely. Yeah. We actually find there's it's it's pretty common that there's seven typically seven barriers that tend to present themselves when somebody's away from work and if we don't intervene in the right way at the right time if we typically find that disability is prolonged so you know folks a lot of times don't want to be disabled they don't necessarily want to admit that there's an issue and if we're not getting proper care we're certainly not going to go back to work mm -hmm. and then a lot of times folks are inactive and so, especially from a mental health perspective, you, you know, you hear folks that are depressed might stay home all day or stay in bed all day or mm -hmm. folks that have just had a back injury or even a heart condition are afraid to, you know, increase their activity. And if you're not increasing activity, you're certainly not going to end up returning to work. And then there's faulty thinking like, geez, you know, I won't perform as I once did or this will never get better. And then there's just fears of returning to work. What am I right. going to say when my coworker asked me why I was out? Or what if I can't remember how to deal with that angry caller or this particular product? It, I was always uncomfortable with it, and now I know I'm going to have a increased issues. And, and then we worry about getting sick again. So maybe right. um, I felt like my work volume was a little high, and what if I go back and I, I get sick again? And then we all have trouble with boundaries. So a lot of folks... Again, we're all doing more with less. And so, you know, if I go back, am I going to be able to set the right limits? Am I going to work on the weekends? How, what's that going to look like? And, mm -hmm. you know, am I going to get ultimately sick again? And then transitioning back and that whole idea of being prepared for what's going to happen on day one is extremely important. And so if we can understand where folks are in this whole thought process and help them identify barriers and then put tools in place and modifications in place to overcome those barriers, we're much more likely to feel prepared and be successful in our return to work efforts.
Wonderful. Obviously, this is a passion of yours, uh, and we've, we've been a partner with Prudential several years now. What is Prudential doing now to encourage having this dialogue, getting employers on board, getting employees on board, and maybe even to be um, improving the benefits at the workplace? Yeah. So, so my team actually um, is a really good example of the way that Prudential is investing in working with employers to create healthier workplaces. And so my team is really assigned regionally. So I have, we're a team of eight and I have regional directors that work uh, across the country and they work with employers by identifying really data and trends within the different products that we have implemented. And that allows them to identify opportunities within the employee population that could benefit from things like uh, a return to work program or what we call a health integration strategy, where we're making sure we're referring folks to the appropriate resources at the appropriate time, or are there policies in place that might be creating some dissatisfaction in the workplace, and can we make some recommendations to help employees feel more empowered? So we're, we're in workplaces every day, implementing strategies and programs to ensure that, again, folks have more of a satisfying work life and can stay at work and return to work safely. Nice. That's awesome. Awesome. So just thinking about our listeners, uh, individuals who are employees, um, maybe currently or maybe not be currently on disability, are there any additional resources that you might want to point us to, to check out in addition to this podcast? Yeah. I mean, I think the best source of information typically is going to be your employer. And I highly recommend talking with managers and talking with HR professionals, as I've said. There's some other organizations, however, that um, offer a lot of information around employee benefits, around you know how to make sure that you're leveraging any of the rights that you have relative to disability. So I would say um, the Society for Human Resource Management is always a really good resource for both employees and employers. And then uh, the Disability Management Employer Coalition has a lot of um, information and resources and research out there as well. The Integrated Benefits Institute um, and the National Business Group on Health both also do a lot of research in this area. And then certainly, you know, the EEOC has a lot of information out on the web around um, things like the Americans with Disabilities Act um, that I think, you know, as, as much as we can educate ourselves and understand our rights in this space is, is certainly beneficial as well. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, we'll link up to all of those that uh, Dr. Tuckman mentioned so that uh, if you want to check those out, you certainly can. And then I'd like to um, plug, you wrote a great article in hrotoday.com called A Better Back to Work that I would refer everyone to. You might uh, help and complement this podcast. Dr. Tugman, any, uh, any suggestions if our listeners want to stay in contact with you or any of the work that you're doing of how they can stay connected? Absolutely. So um, definitely follow me on Twitter and, um, you know, can certainly direct message me. So I'm at Dr. Tugman, PhD. Awesome. And, and any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Anything you wanted to share with our audience that you think might be important, whether they're an employee or an employer? 
Yeah, I think the key is to make sure you're protected. So if we call it disability insurance or income protection, you know, make sure that your income is protected and be aware that you know disability can happen or the, the need to be away from work certainly can happen. And let's just prepare for it and understand sort of the psychological nature of it and make sure you're, you know, staying connected with your employer. And on the same token for an employer, recognize that disability can significantly impact your bottom line from an employee perspective and a retention perspective. So, you know, let's work together to make sure that we have policies and programs in place that preserve the productivity of your workforce. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dr. Tugman, for sharing your time and this helpful information. Thank you, our listeners, for listening to another episode of Queer Money. Here's your Queer Money takeaway from this episode. One, confirm with your HR department that you're signed up for disability coverage. Two, learn how to successfully make it through time off should you need it. Three, make a plan with your manager and your team to help teammates go on disability, both for their time out of work and their transition back to work. Remember, just sending a card or a bouquet of flowers goes a long way to helping bring someone back to work and possibly back to health. Then join us next week when we talk about the biggest shocker for most people when it comes to their money. We make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please email us your money questions at questions at debtfreeguys.com or post them in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may just answer it in an upcoming episode. To learn more about how our sponsor, Capital One, is reimagining their local spaces and experiences to have banking better fit your life, visit www.capitalone.com and follow them on social at Capital One Cafe. Remember, the foundation for living fabulously, not fabulously broke, is a good credit score. A good credit score can save you tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. Bad credit score can cost you tens of thousands of dollars and cause you to miss out on other great opportunities. Sign up for the free Improve or Build Your Credit Score Powered by Experium Boost and watch your credit score improve between 5 and 50 points in 15 minutes. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash boost. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.